you guys. I'm here with Jay Bobier. Okay, he's a, he has a YouTube channel, um, and he's also uh, a researcher. He's pretty big on on Twitter. He's very active, I would say, on Twitter. That's where I know him from mainly. And um, he has his own bow theory, which is uh, basically how the Earth and the Moon, an alternative theory on how the Earth and the Moon were formed with the electrogravity thing. So that's really kind of awesome and cool. So, okay, Jay, how did you... Tell us about you. How did you get started with this stuff? Yeah, yeah. So my background is a little strange. I actually grew up in Salem, Massachusetts. My family business is grave digging. And um, my family are excommunicated Catholics, but the cemeteries are all Jewish. And I literally lived in a 200-year-old house playing in cemeteries as a kid. And because of that, I was awkward and weird and didn't have a lot of friends so I went into school for acting uh, initially as an undergraduate very interested in like social sciences and history as well and archaeology and then I got my master's in comparative religious studies because uh, when I was in school for acting I was also writing uh, I got a, a playwright a play published and so I'm a playwright um, and after that I I just had a lot of questions because I grew up in this cemetery where my family wasn't religious at all and didn't talk about any of this stuff, but I had questions. And so I started looking really young. I started reading uh, religious, uh, the varieties of religious experience by William James when I was like a teenager and then a bunch of Buddhism. And so the, by the time I got to, uh, writing and dealing with all these questions when I was in my early 20s, I was really looking for an answer to the conflict between religions and the conflict between religion and science. And I was an atheist uh, growing up, like I didn't believe in a soul or anything. I never saw ghosts. I never had any weird experiences. I was like fearless running around these these cemeteries and I was like if there's ghosts they're afraid of me I don't know whatever <laughs> and uh so uh when I went to get my master's degree I I got it at Naropa and that's a Buddhist college and my main th uh thrust of my studies was infinity comparative mysticism and like sonic theology so the power of sound and vibration, but also uh, ontology and epistemology. So how we know things, how we define things and breaking things apart. Like growing up in Boston, I was very liberal and into postmodernism when I was young, deconstructionism, functionalism, all these things. And then, you know, you get a little bit older and it's like, all right, let's, let's be a little bit more uh, sticky about this let's let's get in there and so the ontology and the epistemology stuff is really it, like I wanted to know what the nature of reality was and so that's what I was studying and so then when I wrote my thesis it was a way of like tying together the different um, theories of ultimate reality from different traditions from Hinduism Buddhism Christianity and so meshing duality, non-duality, and unity into kind of like a coherent theory um, and just like a, a paradigm where it made sense to me at least. And that was really grounded in infinity. And so from those studies, um, 
I graduated right in the middle of the Great Recession. And so I didn't do anything with my degree, of course. Um, but in terms of like all the ancient Wait, how studies, old are you? Because I, I did the same thing. I graduated, I'm like, I'm going to be 40 in June. And I graduated uh, my, with my master's in 2009 or 2000. Yeah, I think it was 2008 or 2009. And yeah. it was like, yeah, great. Right when everything was like, right. haha, you wish. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 42, so exactly. Okay. Yeah. And, but I've been studying the ancient cultures and like that was what initially, like the, what initially prompted me to get my master's degree was the writing about the struggle of religions and studying the ancient cultures and studying the origins and like trying to find the human story that we can all like hear and listen to. And obviously that's tied to like the lost civilization and what happened before. And so I was always studying that stuff. Like I read Graham Hancock in like the late nineties. I found Randall in like the early two thousands, you know, like I was following those guys real early and like, I'm a really logical and skeptical person. So like when I think about like what could have ended the ice age, like that was a big, big question for me. And I, I really like thought about it early and I was like, I, I thought about the comet and asteroid thing, like, early like in the 2000s and eventually I was kind of like I don't know if that can do it you know like I think it can but I'm not sure you know and so like I came I came to doubt that really early not that like many could like or like a big event could but like I found the the solar thesis and Ben Davidson like I don't know maybe five years ago yeah yeah um but I was but but even even before that, Randall had like kind of and and Robert Schock had spoken about a, a solar flash or a solar event, and so as soon as I heard that, you know, when when Ben when I found Ben and, and started digging into his science, that became that 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 was lit, you know. And Ben and Randall have spoken, and they're both kind of on the same page, you know. Randall's more interested in the geology aspects of it, and like pulling up that kind of proof and evidence and and the uh, geometry aspect and so like we all have like a part to play and um and like I talked to Ben and uh, I've talked to him a couple times you know and like I really want him to like see what I'm saying about the moon but he's he's got the sun to pay attention to and all these other things and um well, and so that's why when I I had a rough few years before like before all this before COVID hit and like I hit rock bottom like right before it all broke out like in the summer of 2018 and I basically just like I was like fuck it I don't care I the like I could not figure out what to do for a job that was like paying my bills and like it just kept getting more expensive here in Boulder and uh and like, I have a lot of skills, but I'm just like a generalist and I'm, and I'm kind of spread out. And a lot, so many of the jobs that I would be good at, I need some kind of technical training. And it's just like, I got mad. And then my car got jacked. My grandma was getting sick. And like, I just was like, you know what? I don't care. And I was like, house sitting my friend. And I started looking at the maps uh, and trying to understand the flood and, and the worldwide flood. And that's when I like had this like thing hit me and it was like I don't want to like say it was like a like a 
like, nobody talked to me or anything, but like all of a sudden I like locked in and it was I like an like, epiphany. You were like clear. More than that though, because it lasted for like a month. <laughs> and like, I like locked into like the universe and the Akash and like, I was just getting download and I could just see the sacred geometry and everything. And I was like finding secrets everywhere I went. Like my intuition was just like on point. And that was when I realized that um, the moon was tied to the pole shift equation. Cause that was what I was really searching for was the pole shift. Is a pole shift possible? What could cause a pole shift? Seems so unlikely. And, uh, and that was when, so I had this vision and it was so much information that I couldn't believe because I was like, this is ridiculous. This doesn't make sense. And so uh, that was, I spent like three months just trying to process it and put some of it in, into my first video, which is why that one's so far out. Uh, and no, then like, yeah. And then uh, I just, um, I just kept digging. And eventually I came up with a whole cosmology about how planets are formed and how uh, this all ties to physics through fractalization. And uh, at the end of it, like earlier this year, or I guess last fall, I figured out a whole new paradigm of time. And so like the way that I get my information is, is unnerving to me and it's unnerving to other people because I have ability to like, figure out answers with like a little bit of information and it and it's it's hard for me to like explain why I can see what the answers is but are but like I can predict stuff and I've always kind of had a little bit of that uh but since this this experience it's gotten way way crazier and so that's that's the gist of like okay so walk us through why I'm making videos like yeah, so, so first of all, it's like, it's it is interesting because uh, I don't like I'm not a hundred percent sure I exactly understand everything about your theory. I mean, because it looks at like, so okay, if I let me paraphrase my understanding for you, and then you can pick the holes in what I'm think what yeah, what please. I think you're trying to say. The crater formation of things like on the moon basically are a mirror image of of continental placements in certain tectonics or something and it's almost as if these were formed in a mirror way when there was a separation of the moon from the earth and like that's how you can tell that they were at one point connected and it's, a, it's some sort of like there was a plasma arc that matched them Am i at all on yes. the right page of sort of what you're saying yeah no that's very close so um yeah the the main thrust uh what I figured out was that the the lunar mares their shapes matched the continental land formations, uh, primarily in the Americas and the biggest ones anyway. The smaller ones, I believe, match up to Asia. But what I'm proposing is that they formed while, and, and we can set aside the question of uh, where the moon came from in this debate, because that's actually like a separate debate. Um, and this is kind of like where I'm at. I'm so far well, out. I like, actually trying to figure it out. So yeah. Okay, after this, I have to tell you my theory that came to me after watching your stuff, but it isn't okay. your, it, yeah. But so you inspired yeah. a new theory in me. So I'll tell you that about that after this. Okay. okay. So go on. 
So, so the point that I'm trying to make is that um, those in the, the the idea of where the moon came from is that there was a giant impact of a planet sized another planet basically hit earth exploded then reaccreted into the moon my proposal is that it didn't actually explode but that as it approached it began spinning and that uh pieces of the surface blasted off and that um the impact of that then formed those pressure i don't know how to describe it precisely but like it basically sense they both probably lost surface area in one way or the other and then it came to the middle and then that becomes the asteroids and debris that shoots out um but the bulk but, of it like the core of it would have been that other planet like, like is the moon the core of that other planet yeah. would have been the moon right? yeah yeah and so um in my in my later proposals where I'm proposing this as like a fractalization and thermodynamic thing, um, I believe that the moon actually could have emptied out. And that's why it could be hollow is that some of the iron came out through those, those blasts and that uh, the moon shrank in this process and that some of the iron band formations that then hit the earth um, and then created the oxygenation event actually came from the inner moon. Uh, and so, as, I, as I've gone on, I've come to believe that this caused the Earth actually to expand uh, and that it caused plate tectonics to form uh, by the, the, so basically the moon coming in and, and not hitting creates a pressure and that causes the Earth to expand and the moon to contract. But that essentially when they first approached, they were the same size and that because of that, they couldn't get past the Roche limit, neither one. And so when that happened, both of them would have like blown surface off. And we are a biplanetary system. We aren't technically, it's not actually technically a satellite because it, uh, because of its locked position or something. I think, I think in a technical sense, it's a biplanetary. I mean, it's like we're, we're, we're rotating. Planet. Well, you can see it as one unit. Yeah. And that's yeah. actually kind of like part of the fractalization process that I, I, eventually came to conclude is how this works is that things are splitting apart and that all these binaries that we see in space are splitting apart okay so that's that's, that's what like okay i okay so dolores cannon uh whatever people might think of her as completely woo woo but i like i don't me. know her so she she had this like she died in like 2012 and she was a hypnotherapist and she used to talk a bunch of people and she was always talking about how like the earth divides like a cell right yeah and then so like i always think about like the as above so below thing and so like when i was like especially when i was looking at your images of some of the correlations you made between like the craters to the continents and stuff what what made me kind of think about the origin of the moon is what if that is okay what if we really are in the the, the sun is the nucleus of an atom that's within another beast that's what like, we know like it's like we're it's an infinity cycle of is as big as the cosmos goes, as little as it causes as it goes, they at some point they start fractaling and matching each other. Okay. Well, so like my thing is, is yes. if you look at the way cells divide, I'm thinking yeah. like, well, maybe the planets are little cells or something, or we're we're nucleotides within an atom. I don't really know, whatever. But um Yes. So my exactly thing, what I'm proposing is that we're living beings. Yeah. I do think the planets are the planets are alive. Um yes, and that like 
where actually, because I propose that this is all thermodynamics and that like we're born off really like a fractal of the earth. Right. We're actually like a microcosmic fractal of the earth. I, I think that that's very and on so like with what things are. And but so like I'm if you think about how world. we have a magnetic. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, you're, we're kind of breaking ahead, up no, a little bit, so that, that's why it's like. Well, what I was yeah. thinking about the moon is like I think that's like old Earth, like that's the original cell, and the cell divided, and it's dying, and it, and it's shrinking because it's a dying planet, or it's like a dead cell now, like the cell divided, and like the old cell died, and the Earth is the new cell, and maybe she's gonna divide again. I don't really know, create another system, but I feel all watching your videos really made me have this picture of that happening in my head. Because as if, whoa, well, maybe the matching of the continental uh, placements is, is actually because we were, it, it, it was it was one cell that divided. So it is a mirror of earth at some point, but it's dead now. And yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that's the visualization that came to me through all of your stuff. Yes, yes. No, it's great. I love it because like, that's, I mean, that was one of the videos that I haven't done is like the, how the whole birthing process happens. And like, you're a magnetic field. I'm a magnetic field, right? We, if we start smashing into each other, we don't break up. Right. The baby comes out, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so like, if another planet comes by and like, that's part of the thing is that like the process that I'm describing is like different planets interacting and that uh, the sun divides first to become like Jupiter and then Jupiter and sun interacting divide to create the other planets. And that that process is the fractalization process. Yes. And it's uh, created by the, it's created by the differentiation of polar, um, polar orientations. So like if the sun is rotating this way and something is rotating this way, and this is what we found. And this is what I, I point out in, in one of my videos about Kepler 10 B and uh, a nearby planet can rotate at that angle that's almost perpendicular. And when it does that, it can elongate. And they've like, I, I remember tweeting, uh, tweeting about that, that they it's found like elongated like planets, egg-shaped like planets. Elongate like with the rings kind of thing or more like the way- the No, the, act, the, physical, the physical body of the planet looks more oh. like a football. Well, and that's actually technically what because Earth it's is starting to, it doesn't look 100% like a round ball. It is, it is elliptical. Yeah, it's a spheroid. Yeah, it's, uh, and so that process of like being this, like this and spinning much faster causes a heat differentiation, which allows part of it to break off from the other part. And then that piece that breaks off then becomes the moon in my theory. And so the, um, the, the idea, this is not like a, the earth fission thesis is not new. Like that's, and expanding earth are not new. These were ideas that were around in the 1800s and they were widely accepted until they like stumbled into like an, a dark alley where they couldn't find the answers. And the expanding earth they dropped because they couldn't figure out the mechanism. And, um, well, I mean, the same thing with like ether, right? They dropped the ether, the theory, the concept of the ether and then gave it the vacuum. But I, yeah, but yeah, I mean, they always drop all these theories and they didn't necessarily need to drop them, I don't think. Well, you know, the thing about science is that it's, and it's about quantification. And the only way to quantify anything is to focus on it. And to focus on it, you have to eliminate the other variables. 
And so that's what Einstein did when he figured out that equation and he, and he eliminated spin from the equation. The sun, the sun spin is out of that equation. And so there's a bunch of new like theorists if you're into like heavy quantum physics and um, string theory and all these unified theories where they're, they're all pointing that out. It's not like me figuring this out right, right. Or, or anybody else, you know, like I, I keep reading a, multiple well, theories I mean, and they all talk about it in different ways, but they get it. And that's where um, like quantum physics understands that the universe is a fractal. They're just not quite willing to admit that it's like an infinite fractal and that they understand how it's, how it's tied together because it, it goes against so much, um, so much science that's right now is, is still really ingrained in academia. And so it creates inertia. You know, I don't necessarily believe in the conspiracy theory. I believe that we're like inundated with so much information right now that we all are losing our minds and don't know who to trust anymore. And nobody can keep up with the amount of information. Like everybody's a specialist and nobody, even the specialists can keep up with their own fields. So like anybody can come along and just say, hey, you're wrong. Look at this new study. And it's like, well, I didn't yeah, know I about mean, that. And, then and with the internet, and stuff. we have so much access to, to information that like people 75 or whatever, people like 20 years ago didn't have this kind of, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. so, yeah. And it's not only like the amount of information, it's the quality of it because now we can like visualize things like in ways that yeah. we couldn't. For example, like the Mandelbrot set was only first discovered in 1980 when the computers were able to like process that amount of information and print something out with it, you know? But okay. now you can like run a program and like visualize the whole thing. And, uh, and so like Einstein didn't have access to fractals and, and that's part of, the, part of the equation that was missing for like understanding how it all ties together through an, an infinite universe, you know? Uh, but like a lot of people I, don't I like infinity. About, like that That's time's not a consistent, um, consistent variable, which I, I think about that all the time, especially when we're dealing yep. with, um, if we're dealing like pre ice age, even I'm thinking like the conditions of which, right. you know, of like the reason that dinosaurs could have been as big as it or the flora and the fauna, the reason that the sizes could have been different is like time literally could have been expressed differently as well too. You know, like not just gravity, yeah. but also like the way time was expressed or perceived. And um, so... that needs to be really thought about more yeah let me give you my thoughts on it because actually i i think i have what people are gonna like start to think about and um because we just hit this time period where the um the day stopped getting longer where there was actually a, a day where it got sh shorter and we're at the opposite end of the cycle from the you know, we're at the 12,000 year point, right? That's the half cycle of the grand year. Oh, you go thing or whatever, yeah. Yeah, or whatever, you know, the grand year, the, the full 24,000 or 26,000, right? There's a big debate about how long the how long this is, how yeah, long the so great basically year we're is, at the full expression of the separation and now we move in, maybe. Yes, exactly. So what I think is that, um, and this is where it relates to the moon because the, the spin of the earth is directly tied to the distance of the moon. And so like, I'm not proposing that the moon's gonna like plummet towards the earth. I'm proposing that on average, it's gonna start getting closer. And it does that on this side of the cycle, on every cycle, every cycle. And so that by the time we get back to Leo, the day could be actually 
little bit shorter, like an hour shorter, who knows, you know, like to the point where are, are you, the 24,000 year cycle makes more sense. Like right now we see it as a 26 year thousand cycle, you know? And, but there's people who attested back in the day that it was 24. And if, if the half cycle is 12,000 years, then this is a variable within the cycle itself. So then does that make, does that make time feel like it's going faster or? Yes, but very, very subtly. Um, And, and I think that there's subtle shifts happening with the moon that people aren't aware of that also affect how time is perceived because of the momentum on the earth. And what about gravity? Like that, I mean, cause if time and gravity are linked, like would that make us heavier or lighter? So if we speed up, um, supposedly we have to be able to, like we could get bigger. That's, that's, that's yeah. the way that they, explain the dinosaurs is that earth could have been smaller and that uh if we're spinning harder and faster time is shorter but supposedly like i don't i don't know exactly how to explain gravity in that context like i don't want to say gravity was heavier or gravity was lighter it doesn't really make sense to me uh fully like and i'm not a, a physicist and so that's not my specialty but to me, it makes sense that Earth was smaller and these other things were lighter. Um, and so... Maybe the fluidity of air itself is easier to move through or something. Like, you know, it's... There, there's a lot of factors that I think that people don't think about. Like, for example, when Earth is spinning faster, more um, water is going to go to the poles. Okay cold and then the cold shrinks the atmosphere and that actually creates less drag on the earth so that we can spin faster so like in ice ages we can actually spin faster technically i'm not saying we do just saying like it's something to think about right right um huh okay and, so and so yeah i think about those go ahead i was gonna say so um where does this the the like squatter man like what do you think that that is like within all the like the like the plasma arc or thing or whatever you know like what do you think about squatter man yeah i mean obviously i think that it it could be a lot of things and i have it as one of my graphics between the earth and the moon because yeah i think it illustrates actually what that would have looked like um with the moon closer and there's part of me, like when I first started thinking about all this, I thought that the moon could fall to earth on, um, not necessarily like, like every processional cycle. Kind of yeah, basically comes swing back by um, and not necessarily collide, but yeah. And so there's a couple of different theories I have on that. One is that when the micronova happens that that could affect the moon's orbit. Okay. Um, and that's, that's tentative and like, not necessarily like I'm saying it's going to fall to earth, but that could be the thing that causes that it to, would suck. <laughs> um, to speed up. Yeah. And it could, it could blow stuff off. It could get caught in the magneto tail. And so there's a, a lot of different ways that I think that the micronova could affect the moon. And then that in turn could affect the earth to cause a pole shift or a crust displacement. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but what was your initial, what'd you ask me? You asked me something else. Oh, I was like, asking about, well, actually finish your thought on time. I, 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 okay, I on time. interrupt with it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So time is interesting because, you know, it, it's relative to where you're at. I mean, you've probably seen interstellar, right? Yeah. Where <clears throat> they go down onto this mega planet and seven years passes for the guy who's in orbit. And it's like an hour. And it's like an hour for them. No, it's like five minutes for them or something. It's like really short. And, and so that's like, people don't get that. We have like a totally geocentric view of time that like an an hour and a second that are relative to our day and all this stuff. And it's not, it's not real. But see what has also messes me up with time is like, I have a tortoise. Okay. Like I have a little Sheldon tortoise. He's, um, he's a little Greek tortoise named Sheldon. He's 34, but he's supposed to be 200 years old. So like, I'm going to have to figure out somebody to leave him with like, you know, whatever. Um, and I love him. He's like the size of a hamburger and he's some cool and stuff, whatever. So that's my pet. But like, the thing is, is when I like, I watch him eat sometimes and I think about it and I'm like, he, maybe it's just your, like the percept. Okay. So humans have 24 frame rates per second. Like that's how come, like if you take 24 frames frames in a second, that's why it looks like a a moving picture. Right. So, and if you want to make a 3d you do 36 frames per second. If you want to, if, and if you go like a hundred frames per second, it's too much information. Our brain can't even perceive it. Okay. Right. So that, and so like, start me, part of me is like, okay, well that the percept, the part of your brain that perceives frame rates, like what if that's different even within like an immortal jellyfish to a fruit fly that lives three days? Like what if a fruit fly can see like a thousand frames per second? It's like, ah, 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 and then it dies, you know, because it's, 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 it's all about its perception. And then like the reason that my tortoise is going to be 200 years old is because maybe he sees 16 frames per second or something. And maybe the immortal jellyfish sees one frame per day. I don't really know. Like, I'm just trying to, I, I wonder sometimes it's, it's not just, the physicality of what's there, it could also be a perception thing too. And then if that's the case, well, then you get into the whole, like, what is reality, you know, but anyway, so I think, I think about that. This is what I, this is what I spend my day thinking about literally. Like I spend my days think about this by myself because like, I don't know who to talk to. This is the kind of thing I would before I'm going to bed at night. Like I like, and you know, like I always do that thing where like you press on your eyeballs and you see like all like this whole like universe and you're in your, you know, like, yeah. 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 Like when I go to bed and I I always think about infinity and the concept of infinity and like how there can't ever really be a beginning because if there's a beginning, then something had to be got the beginning and, you know, um, and then I, yeah, I really, I go into the, the time thing a lot on like, what the hell is time? And why is it living? Well, because expression. So, so here's like where like it kind of like came in, like this is a big, like I, I got lost when I, like I say that that experience lasted a month, I thought it was, it was like three months. And I was like, it's only been like, like I was lost and like my sense of time is very different now. And so think about like the sun with no planets. And what people don't get is that like when something doesn't have an orbiting body, it has a tumbling orbit. It doesn't have a stable rotation period. 
it swirls around and it can't stay stabilize. And so I learned that by studying the earth. They said before the moon, the earth wouldn't have a stable axial tilt. That's why Mars doesn't have an atmosphere because it doesn't have a moon to stabilize its axial tilt. See, so I wonder the moon about is that. the key to climate, right? Yeah, I wonder about that in terms of, okay, like different, different uh, chemical or different atoms or, you know, like you have a, hyd a hydrogen versus a helium and it's like, well, or, or like whatever, you, if you take like a, like iron or something or whatever, they all, like, if you look at it on an atom level, they have like different, uh, what are the little ball things on the, I, for some reason I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but maybe, you know how, like in Electrons. Elect, elect, no, electrons and neutrons are, I'm talking about like the, um, uh, like on an atom, like what are the little other ball, is it electrons and protons? Like, yeah, okay, maybe it is. The electrons uh, are around the outside, yeah. Okay, so and maybe the, the planets and are, are inside. maybe the planets are, maybe, like maybe your gas giants are your neutrons and your electrons are your, your rocky planets and that determines what ultimate, like, yeah atom you are yeah. kind of they're moving they're, they're moving towards understanding that like they didn't want to admit it like 10 years ago but like like i said the information now is so overwhelming and they're seeing they've realized that like galaxies that we're looking at that look different it's just because they're turned different yeah and that they all evolve the same way and they're, they're like, the more evidence they see, the more they're seeing that it's the same process. Everything is the same, follows the same laws of physics from microscopic to the macroscopic. Yeah. And it's thermodynamic fractalization. It's, it's driven by the size of the orbits versus the density and the energy exchange between the parts. Everything is connected but some things are just more closely connected and more intimately connected, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause it's like, if you look at, um, like if you look at microscopic, scroptically, like, you know, I don't know, like, like try like those water bears or something. It's, I mean, there's definitely like, they're nothing like we have in our size on our dimensional size or whatever, but at the same time there is similarity. So it's almost like each, layer of fractalization expresses itself slightly differently but there are commonality Com right yeah so yes yes so that's where some people get confused they think that all levels of a fractal have to be the same and it's not there's self-similarity between the levels and you know like the planets are all obviously round that's self-similarity but they're not the same size they have different densities and stuff like that and then the galaxies are the same shape, you know, and then people, humanoids are the same shape, uh, but we're different and all this complexity. And that's what it is, is that it's, it's the diversity in the unity, you know, and so everything flows through these channels of birth. And it's like, I believe in evolution. I also, you know, believe in the potential of the alien intervention or whatever else and yeah. futuristic time manipulation of genetics or whatever. But I think that evolution did happen, and, and I do tend to believe in our ability to work with stone realistically, just because we were more in tune with it back there, back then, in a way that we're not now. Yeah. Um, and to me, it like like I don't think that like if they were super advanced like us, like we don't build in stone like that. Why would 
you know, like it's, it's a different. Yeah, well, that's where I, I feel like, I feel like before whatever disaster happened at, uh, like whatever disaster we think happened that bottlenecked the, the, the species, I think that, um, I think we had something akin to an, a different kind of electricity that we don't have now. Like we had a technology sure. that we haven't sure. rediscovered. That's like what I think about yeah. it a lot. Like that's where I, yeah. and honestly I so, change every day on what I think really happened yeah. with that. Cause right. I basically look, look at it all the time and my every day I'm like, no, this, this happened, this happened, this happened. So I don't know. I'm yeah. very, well, here's the way I look at it. I think the humans have been uh, intelligent for about a couple hundred thousand years maybe three. Time, yeah. The problem is, is that there's a, uh, this disaster cycle, which is not 12,000. There's actually an event every 6,000 years, yeah. which basically resets the clock. And so some of these are worse than others. Uh, there's like, if you think about this as hands on a clock, there's four events. Uh, the one in Leo appears to be the worst. Uh, and so we can only get so far before we get wiped out. Yeah. You know, when this uh, when this event happens, it's going to wipe out all technology as we know it. It's just going to be fried. It's going to be done. It's game over. So many people will pass. All the knowledge will be forgotten within a generation. Everything gets wiped out so fast and forgotten. You're right. And then disappeared, blown up, whatever it is. And so this, the, the Ice Age cycle is 120,000 years approximately. The real long one right with an interglacial that's like 10 to 18. well technically we're still in an ice age if there's glaciers on the planet you're technically in an ice age so we right there's like there's like the ice age and then the ice age ice age and there's always right you know. right uh but we're in an interglacial supposedly and then uh we're gonna go back into an ice age and then that's a hundred and twenty thousand year cycle again and that's like five processional cycles four or five processional cycles and so there's ups and downs in all of those. And each one of those 6,000 year cycles, look how fast we went from having no electricity to flying, to having a population. Yeah, to the world, to the Babylon Tower, like world's information yeah. in your hot little hand. Yeah. It's 100, 150 years is what it took, you know? Yeah. That was it. 200 maybe if you want to go crazy. Um, and so that, that could have happened. I think it really could have, even if it was just with a small population, if they were smart. And so I tend to want to believe that other species have lived on this planet and left before us and gone to space and that the aliens who are visiting us are related to us in that like sense, that they're from here. Or, something. Yeah. or another planet somewhere else could have also produced something in their fractal land that's similar enough to, yeah come um. but, it, but it's but here's the thing that and like i talked to ricardo about this is that like if every planet and every sun has this cycle it might not be six thousand years yeah but it might be quicker or, or longer yeah and so you're if you become a space-based civilization you're going to be planet hopping you're not going to necessarily put down roots on a new planet or stay on your planet after an event yeah no happened. i feel like you would dyson sphere it you really would like that would make the most sense if you could um just you know have your own environment or your own artificial environment and soak up resources as you go along right which is like why people say like oh you know the moon is artificial and it's a spaceship and like 
that would be the most ideal shape for a long-term yeah it's like a death star or something yeah i don't i don't know i have i the moon is also one of those things where like sometimes i'm like i'm being watched when it's looking like sometimes i I have all these different theories about the moon i don't really know i just think we don't really have the full story of the moon figured out like that it bought it really bothers me that it just so happens to be the same size in the sky that it looks like a like well that a solar eclipse a full solar eclipse can happen the way that it happens like the same size in the sky as the sun there's something very um like fishbowl tanky about that for me yeah well i mean and it won't forever you know yeah that's true that's what they say and it didn't and it didn't in the past and that's the thing is that that configuration is actually like a sweet spot and that's why it's in that configuration. It's not just by chance. It's because there's certain distances where the moon would have been in like um, harmony with the earth. And so if you look at the, like the constructed timeline that scientists propose, and that's where I started getting to the, the timeline is because in order to try and understand the cycles and how they form, and how the moon could have uh, created those cycles and with the micronovas and stuff like that, I had to really dig into that timeline. And so that was when I I started, you know, really thinking about how they already are proposing that the earth could have been closer to the sun in Mm. the early solar system. So now we're already starting to understand that the planets are, are moving away from their source, from where they come from that they're not accreting into these places that are just harmonic because that makes sense. I don't believe in accretion. I believe that they're born and they move away. Like I'm born and I moved away from my mother a little bit when I'm young. And then as I get older, I move away. And then finally I move away, you know, and eventually the moon's going to move away. And right now I think that it's actually at a point where it's slightly unstable. And I think that the earth moon system is tied that. And so that's why I think the earth is speeding up to actually pull the moon back in because I think the moon is hitting its, its unstable point. And this is what I propose with the Lorenz equations using the rally numbers. And, um, and that's like, that's like real thermodynamics. Like that's, I didn't make that up. That's within like the Mandelbrot set. That's what they use. And rally numbers are applied to like everything all over the place. And so I haven't seen anybody else thinking about it like that um, because they don't think about the earth changing its speed and they don't want to think about catastrophism or quick changes because in this paradigm, basically the moon could pop off. So how much time do you think we have? Do you think, are you of the mindset that like within our lifetime, we'll see like the next, the next thing, or do you think that we have some time? Um, well, I don't think that the moon's going to fly away in our lifetime. Um, but I think that it could like in a million years, uh, just for example, but again, it's an oscillation thing where I think that it's a feedback mechanism where if the earth speeds up for a while, then the moon comes back in, it could shed mass. And then, I mean, and apparently, you know, it there stays are lighter and stays stable. There are like Aborigine um, tribes and some other like native tribes that talk about the time when the moon came into place. Like they talk about how it wasn't always there. Right. And so that it would explain a lot of those mythologies if the moon fell and hit like a tidally locked position uh, with the earth. 
And so Pluto and its moon are actually dual mutually locked. So both sides face each other. And it wrote like Pluto rotates and the same side faces the moon all the time. Mm. And so like in that situation, if you lived on the other side of the Pluto, you wouldn't see the moon. And so like if the moon came down and got tidally locked over the Pacific, which is where I think it usually does. So tidally locked, people in the Middle East wouldn't see it. Tidally locked, right? Like, right. But so that the, the earth too actually became tidally locked. So, that, uh, yeah, so the moon is totally locked in that its face, its face always faces Earth. That's like why the, so like the Aborigines, they would, they just, the moon was there. They just didn't ever see it because it was tightly locked for them. So it was on basically stuck on the other side of the On Earth. the other side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so that would be, if you've ever played with um, fractals and strange attractors, you know, the, the chaos theory and the butterfly yeah. The two circles, like those are called strange attractors or attractors. And you can mess with them and play with those configurations. And that's where I get some of the graphics from is I started playing with those variables. And so you can like watch something spinning around its regular orbit. It looks like it's just a normal plane. And then whoop, it pops up and then it comes back and then it shoots up and then it comes back. And so I think that that's the fractalization process from which like moons break away from planets or sun or uh, planets break away from suns. Or attempt to. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that they necessarily do it the first time, you know, they might come back and like, it takes time for things to spread apart to the point where they don't have enough attraction anymore that if they do that, then they can split. Hmm. So. What do you, what, and, and what do you think, um, in terms of like, you know, like the planets that have no moon versus like a lot of moons, you know, like, like right. we're the only one I well, know that has just one moon, right? Right, right. All the terrestrial planets started as moons of Ju uh, Jupiter and Saturn. So at one point you're saying we would have been a moon of one of those. Yes. So in the early solar system, at first there was, you know, just Jupiter, then Saturn would have been like the first moon of Jupiter, and then it broke away, and then that allows them to like switch places and to like you know start tearing at each other, and then once they have a bunch of moons, and then like things start moving around, and this is like pretty commonly accepted is that the the planets rearrange themselves, like that's um, the Nice model. Uh, it's like all these like weird theories that got discarded are coming back now now that the information can all be aggregated it's hard to deny it you know so it's like and so the it, planets do rearrange themselves so like the sun broke off of something and then jupiter broke off of the sun and then saturn broke off of jupiter and then neptune broke and then we all were we all yes. like broke out of of all the planets and then and it, so it, yes. so it, it just fractals down kind of thing. Yes. And then and to so, what point? So towards balance, towards harmony. Um, and but then so at it, some point, does it all come back together? We all mesh back in? Or is it like that kind of yin yang? Or is it, um, it just... Some things, some things come back and some things go off. 
It's okay. kind of like, you know, one of your brothers stayed home and didn't move out and the other two did. Uh, some part of our system will break off, like Jupiter most likely will break off and form its own system and take half the solar system with it at some point, you know, whenever. Uh, like when our sun starts shrinking and dying and Jupiter's still big, it'll start drifting away more or whatever. Uh, and so with the, like the earth and moon is everything is seeking stability is the point is that the sun breaks off to create that thing that anchors it. The satellite anchors its stability of orbit of axial tilt. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want. Like, and that's why we, we have a kid and then the kids running around us, it's orbiting us and we have to get our shit together and we have to get stable and we have to get on a routine and stop traveling around the world and just like fluttering all over the place right that's that's the metaphor is that the the satellites are the children that stabilize the system and so like and it, each system is thermodynamic and so it can only support so much right everything is is governed by this thermodynamics and dimensionality and so the planets are born and you know one of them is too big so it got flung out like there's a missing planet, like everybody, like a lot of astrophysicists talk about the missing mass and some people think it's Nibiru. And so in this model, it could literally be a strange attractor out in our nearby solar system that got spit out and is just like trying to get away or it could have gotten away or, and it's moons are the pieces that like come back through the solar system. Like that's not like a theory that I'm subscribing to, but I'm explaining why that theory actually makes sense in the paradigm that I'm describing. Mm. Um, I mean, the, I, I guess, I guess because of, um, it's, it's hard to prove and or disprove a lot of this because, um, you know, how we tell that other star systems even have planets is the dimming effect, right? Like, cause we, yep. we can't really like the closest galaxy we have to us is Andromeda, but like, what's the car, what's the closest star system? or their closest stardust to us anyway it's like four i think it's like four, four light years yeah, million light uh... years or something but basically what we can do is like what and you know i got a couple of telescopes i'm into astronomy i like that stuff too but like um yeah. you can't see shit in those things and i've even been to like mono Kai and hawaii yeah. and then like you know i've been to fort fort davis and like um yeah. you know whatever and like uh uh the mcdonald observatory and stuff and you know on when you look like okay, I don't get to look through the telescopes that they get to look through, but you, I have paid to look through the biggest ones that they allow pedestrian, you know, non whatever, yeah. like regular people yeah. look through. And it's, you know, we're basically, this is digital art. Yeah, no, we're, we're basically, yeah, it's all digital constructions from simulations and data points. Yeah, I mean, it's long exposure. Photoshop to crap, like heightened, enhanced colorizations, this and that. Yeah. But so my point with that is just that we don't, the time frame is so small, like, you know, like they're like the, like the universe in our mind's eye is almost like experiencing, like when I talked about that frame rate, like it's, ex, it, it's moving at a frame rate of like, you know, one, one frame rate per year or something to where we, even when we do see things like the dimming effect so we could tell like oh that that's that star right there it like dims by x percent every every you know whatever orbit so that means it has six planets and they're this size like the you know, okay we can kind of tell like that kind of stuff but a lot of it's just i don't know 
it's it's hard to prove because of the time because yeah. things. No, don't absolutely. Change. Well, I mean, all planetary formation theories are impossible to prove because we can't simulate them. They're like everyone, lunar formation theory, all that stuff. It's impossible to prove. They're all theories. They're all as valid as the next one. I mean, as far as yeah. as, as, as long that's as you know. Also, you what's important to note though, because that means all the theories that we do currently have about like oh this nursery nebula like puts out i, mean, I don't know we like a lot of it yeah we don't know shit we don't, know, we shit. don't know shit we know nothing we're totally babies just learning to like crawl and open our eyes about the universe yeah we know nothing and yeah, but we sure are we, we sure do have some gatekeepers crazy. that'll like you know try to be like hey you're not qualified to even think about this so um that's kind of frustrating but what i but i do think that looking at it as an as above so below fractal it really does make a lot of sense it makes sense to me i don't know right yeah i mean that's what that's what i'm always looking for like i said is that that story that i can help people make sense of the world um put it all into a frame of reference where it's it's simpler you know like it it, it is complicated but it's also simple it's unity yeah. and it's diversity at the same time and it's what do you want to focus on you know like take your choice. It's your world. You get to create the reality by focusing on whatever you want. So hallucinogens, have you done yeah. psychedelics? Like what's yeah. your, what's all that? Wait, yeah. what's your take on all that? Yeah. Good. That was actually like one of, one of my first visions was when I was like 13 and like, I don't have like, I don't have visions where I see things or hear things. I just have these like crazy intuitions where I'm like, okay. And um, the first one was my, me and my friends were out out in the woods and I was trying to like chill and meditate and like enjoy myself and they were all like smashing bottles and getting crazy and climbing rocks and stuff and so like my best friend and my brother fell off this cliff that was like 30 feet up and um they, they were okay okay <laughs> but as uh as we were like coming down the mountain it was getting dark and they were all like freaking out and whereas I had been like so on edge up until that point, all of a sudden when everybody else started freaking out and was scared and lost, all of a sudden I got wicked calm and I just said, I see the path, follow me. And like, I just had this intuition that your life is going to be like this. And that's kind of what happened. Cause like my life was a mess until COVID hit and till my experience before it but then ever since like i've just felt like at peace like i see what's coming like i do think that there are going to be major events coming uh in our lifetime and so you know having grown up in a cemetery i've been very exposed to death and grappled with the idea of it for a long time i did, didn't believe in anything when i was younger i do now and so I know that it's okay. Um, and so I see a lot of chaos coming. Is what, what I see is, is more than anything is chaos. Um, because what I think is that at this point in the cycle is where things are the most flourishing and that we're just entering a contractionary phase in general. And so if we think about it in terms of the spin and the day getting shorter and as a heat thing, there's gonna be less heat, be less to go around. And so there's going to be more fighting and all that stuff. And that doesn't happen all at once necessarily. 
and um, these events like the um, <laughs> the flipping of the magnetic pole takes like 500 years sometimes you know and when these cycles the smaller cycles overlap that's when you get like a series of events and so as i said my like my timeline thing i do believe that the asteroids are recursionary and so i think that there's going to be an asteroid um coming in the next decade that's going to like really wake people up and um what i see happening is is people waking up to the reality not necessarily that I'm describing that like everybody who's like really looking forward and like processing the information is seeing kind of the same thing where it's a convergence of timelines which is like we can't avoid it anymore and that's like the whole looking glass thing and like yeah we're going through a bottleneck like there's no way to avoid it and yeah um, and I mean people have different theories about how that will express itself or they come to that through different mediums or different, you know, what, like branches yeah. of study. But I think everybody is sort of feeling that everybody feels it. Yeah. 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 So do you, um, I mean, well, shit with that, I, I, but you know, sometimes I, know. I ask, like, what do you think? what do you what do you think happens to us when we die then like you know like what like what do you think's going on with reality like what do you think this is i think it depends on your level of consciousness um i think that to survive beyond death you need to cultivate a stability of awareness in your consciousness that creates cohesion when you die because uh, when when chaotic things happen, if you're not a stable person, then you get thrown all over the place. But if your axial spin is is really stable and you're self-contained and your magnetic field is is stable, then you can create a wave through the next dimensions. So you think that like almost like your your consciousness or soul or however you want to call it, like your consciousness can, um, it, it, depending upon basically its health, it can go on or, or perish? Yeah, pretty much. And it's That's not that necessarily you perish, you just go into like a dark place until you come back because... Yeah. we're all fractal patterns you know but that sense that like this is a simulation and a deja vu and you've met people before like sometimes I, I like to joke that there's only like 360 people in the world and there's just different versions of them and you yeah. can see them in different races like but it's the same archetype there's the same patterns and that's the same thing with nature that's the way that it works and that's why we have so many experiences that echo each other and why we can connect with so many different things because there's energetic levels where we're still the same that we don't think about we're so focused on the differences and this plane and in this dimension that we don't think about the unification of it and that's the field theory as opposed to particle theory particle theories and science is all about separating to quantify field theory is about understanding the connection and having multiple factors for cause and effect we are a very linear based consciousness in this plane and we see a causing b when in fact there's multitudes of 
factors and causes in A and B interacting with multitudes of other things. And I mean, so, that's that's my biggest sort of um, um, criticism of, of the medical industry is that it's like you're a bag of chemicals and it's just, you know, material reductionism into like it's just chemistry. Um, but yeah. really, I feel like so they're is, ignoring this all is what's of pissing everybody off. Everybody yeah. understands it now because of the web, because we're all connected now, right? We understand the connectedness, but our science is still particle based. It's still linear based. And so we're moving into fractal time. Everybody lives in their own timeline and own reality. And it's really hard to understand that and accept it because we're used to living in an agreed upon reality that we believed in. We agreed to believe in a collective reality yeah. before we understood how many people there were with such differing opinions. And all of a sudden we all realized that there's people who believe in a reality that's completely different than mine. I think that they're insane and they think that I'm insane. Yeah. And we're not insane. We just are working off a completely different set of information. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's beauty in the breakdown, I guess. But I, um, do you, okay, so with this, you teach meditation, right? Like that's a thing you do in life. If You're a big meditator. want help, yeah. I mean, I have a, my own meditation that I created. And okay, so yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, um, are you, or at least you talk about, like in your profile and stuff, you talked about your meditation. So is, is this like a... Is this like a a, a bow a both a bow meditation or bow meditation? Like what do you, like what what kind what's your take on it? Like do you, is there a certain transcendental thing or? No, my my meditation is actually based on brain waves, and thoughts per minute. So um, I correlated a counting technique to um, like how busy your brain is because my brain is really really busy. And I have a lot of thoughts and it goes really fast. And I was an actor and a creative. And so like, I didn't like the whole meditation where like, I'm trying to just like numb myself, but I wanted a meditation where I could like calm my brain and like go to sleep and like stop the ruminations and questions and stuff like that. So I figured out a way to interrupt my thoughts. And um, basically instead of just like counting to 10 over and over again, uh, because Counting to 10 was like the first thing you learned. It's super ingrained in your long-term memory. And so doing it allows your short-term memory to wander. And so I personally readily acknowledge that I have multiple thought levels going at once. No, me too. Like, like um, counting like doesn't work. I meditate, neither is focusing yeah, on like when I'm, If you like meditate and you hear music going, but you're having a thought and you're still also like sensing something in the room, that's like four different levels of thought. Mm -hmm. So like I realized that and was like, I need something that's going to like stop the short term thinking. And so what I did was I use a counting technique that. So like if you're thinking really, really fast, I can I consider that like a gamma state and I equip, uh, equate that to like counting to 30. And then like if you're in like uh, alpha, you're counting to like eight or if you're in beta and your mind's busier, you're counting to like the teens. And so depending on like where your mind is at in terms of like how you feel, you can count to one of those numbers um, and tune your brain basically by and what's the optimal thing you're tuning it to your turn. You want it to be to what, what do you want? It so to for be? me, it's calm, calming down. I have no problem being like wired and creative, but sometimes I need to stop that and slow my brain down. That's the, was the main thing is to slow my brain down. And so when I just start, the, the technique is basically to change the counting number from like, say you were counting from one to 10 and you were like, 
you were, I use like one to 10, one to 11, one to 12 when I'm slightly kind of like too busy and I want to like relax. It's uh, somewhere in between alpha and beta, right? But so instead of counting just the same number over and over again, I move the number a little bit each time. So I count from like one to 10, then I count from two to 11, then I count from three to 12 and so on and so on. Okay. And whatever number I'm counting, I do that many sets. So like if I'm counting to 10, I do 10 sets. And so the last one will be like uh, 11 to 20 or 10 oh, to 12, cool. 19, right. So I don't actually normally do that many sets, but like that's the goal if I'm in a place where I need it. Uh, usually it starts slowing my brain down right away. Uh, and so what it does is the way, the way that it interrupts your short-term memory is that you have to recall the first and last number at the bottom of the breath. So you count out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then you have to think about what the next starting number and ending number is, and then two eleven. And so that recall interrupts the short-term thinking. Like anything. And so there's about. no room. There's no room for the short-term thinking to come in when you're recalling, and that that'll actually tire your brain out. And so it's really good for going to sleep. Like I'll do it for like two minutes, and I'll be off. Um, I'm going to try that for sleeping. Cause like, that's my biggest problem is falling asleep. I'm good once I'm asleep, but getting yeah. there is my issue. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I do this, like if I'm laying in bed, I just like take an exhale and I count and to whatever number I get to, that's the number I start with. And I just do it from there. Okay. Because the idea is that the number correlates with the number of thoughts that you're having per breath. And so like, because we, like I said, we have like four different streams of thought and that's like in a breath, you're gonna have like three or four thoughts. So that's like 12 thoughts. That's where all that chaos comes from. Yeah. And so, yeah, you pick that number that's like where your mind is at. And that's, that's good for me too, because like I always hated like counting to 10, it always, or four or whatever it was, it always felt forced, right? So if you pick a number and you count out to as, as long as you can, and leave a little bit of space at the end of the breath that fills it up. And then that also helps push out all the, uh, and the it helps thoughts. trick it up to where it's not going to necessarily be the same every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about just like doing the pattern. Like if, if you don't like the number that you're working with, like change the number and try something else. Um, some numbers are easier and some are harder, you know? So, um, but yeah, I've had quite a few people tell me that it's helped them like fall asleep. They're like, I don't know, I was trying it. And then, yeah, I was asleep. I guess, I guess it worked. I don't know. Like, like that's what it does. It, it interrupts your thoughts. So like you just shut, shut your brain off. So that's awesome. Okay. So yeah. Jay. And that came to me in a download too, actually. That's cool. See? That actually happened to me. I was meditating and it was like, all of a sudden it was like, this is what you need to do to stop your brain and um so yeah it's just i get downloads like that but that's really cool like i think so. you're yeah you're definitely an intuitive guy um so okay so tell us your future plans here like where can people find you what are you trying to do here what's the goals yeah i mean right now uh, i'd love everybody just to subscribe to both theory on youtube and follow me on twitter and uh, i'm 
moving soon and I'm going to be getting a new place where I can have a studio and do my editing and do my writing. So I'm hoping that this year is really going to be prolific for me in terms of putting out material. Um, a lot of times, with, like I said, with this intuitive stuff, like I, I, I get the understanding and then I have to go do a lot of research and then I have to like chill out and process it and like let it sink in. And then I go back and write and that's kind of the way I work. And so like, I'm pretty done processing, like, and I, I'm bored right now and I don't like want to like study anything else. And uh, I really want to share this, the story and this idea. And I, I just want other people to talk to me about it because like, I know it's crazy, um, but. I don't think it's crazy. I like it. I think it's good stuff. I really do. I think, um, look, you. I mean, uh, your 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 theories are just as valid as anybody else's so i yeah you know i'm i'm mostly just building off other people's stuff and trying to piece together things like a little bit ahead of schedule and uh trailblaze a little bit so i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and like share my ideas with your audience because like i love all the guys that you know we talk to online and i sometimes feel like i'm on the outside because i'm always posting like space and like science stuff and like i'm like man i was so about the megaliths and like and like nobody knows that that's like i'm telling you i got a, i got clues on the flood and like all this it's stuff all I'm interconnected like, hey. it's really all interconnected yeah. and i i mean i used to my i was like like i mean i applied to work at nasa i like i had I, I mean, I have a minor in geology, but I also like took like four semesters of uh, astronomy. Like I was like, like, like yeah. I said, like I'm, I've been a space yeah, nerd yeah. for a long time. So um, I just get jaded with certain stuff. So like, it's funny, like when you were in the megaliths, I was probably way into outer space stuff. And then right. now that I'm like super in the megaliths, you're like way into outer space stuff. So like, I think we kind of like did that. Yeah, times. I but, get like, it. Yeah. Like, yeah the jadedness, like there's a lot of crazy ideas and you're kind of just like, uh. Well, you know, it, it's with everything you you kind of end up going like we don't know shit. Ultimately, we don't know shit. Yep. And then, and for me, it's just the um, the lack of humbleness that certain people have about the ability to be like, I could be wrong. Yeah. Just saying that would help me out tenfold. Just be like, Send, yeah, totally. yeah. This is what we currently think, but you know, we could be wrong. Yeah. But this is why we think it, and this is cool. But right. just the yeah, that it yeah. is. I, I, I used to be a lot more, um, you know, talk, talk down to people, tell everybody what I know. And like, I realized that that doesn't work. People don't like that. And, uh, I know I come across that way sometimes online because of the way that I type and stuff. And it's like, like I said, that's why I love the conversations. Like you talking to so many of those other guys, like gave me such like a better context for them for like when we're sniping back and forth about ideas and stuff. Like when I have their tone of voice, like, I can totally relate to like where they're coming from better and it makes me like less likely to like overreact and stuff and uh, oh yeah me too so, and yeah. like the other thing is that like twitter is awful for it like yeah. it's just like tw like texting people and trigger central it's just yeah. like the short for like you just you can't express your ideas quite as good as you can in long form conversations and i mean yeah. But yeah, like I, I, I definitely have really enjoyed getting to know you through Twitter and I really enjoy all your definitely. content and I think your YouTube channel is great. I want to see more of it and I definitely, yeah. um, yeah, I definitely think that you're, you're on to something. So keep on it. I like it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nikki. So yeah, we'll talk again soon sometime all and right. you know, I'll see you online. Cool. Sounds good. Have a great night. You too. Thank you, dude.
拜。